Blog Talk Radio. shortly got another fun episode to bring to you of course coming to you courtesy of smoky mountain trader and my doterra.com slash tara hardy one eight four five two seven seven nine three seven three is the number to call terry tb modern day roger bannister modern day mm, saeed awita that's an old school long distance runner how we doing man I'm doing fantastic, man. It's good to be here. I know it's, as uh, the commercials remind us, these are unprecedented times, so uh, definitely doing the best I can right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Still knocking down miles and covering distances and just turning right into a runner before your very eyes. Yeah, the UK Athletics. Virtual 5K is this weekend, so I'm running in that. I'm uh, going to try to shoot for my personal record and see how that goes. But uh, as, as folks know, when you get older, that bounce back is a little is a little bit rougher. So I'm I'm pacing myself. I'm not trying to do too much. Yeah, yeah. See, you don't you don't learn that until you get older. You know, 16, 17 yeah. Yeah. year old us would just run, run, run. So there's nothing in the tank, and you know now you pace yourself and pick your spots, and you you can't have perspective till you get perspective. You know that's just always the way it's going to be. <laughs> yeah, you could go up to a little kid and just say, "All right, run," and a little kid will just take off running. But the older you get, you got to prepare to run. You know, running is is one of the, the the our first human's first mode of transportation. But the older you get, you've got to prepare just to do that. So uh, there is a warm-up period and a cool-down period that encompasses uh, the running now. So uh, i got to make sure i got the right shoes. i, I got some running tights. I've got uh, uh, gear for my glasses, gear for my – make sure the earbuds stay in. So, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm getting it. I'm not quite a runner, but I'm, I got the stuff, right? <laughs> I look like I know what I'm doing. And the the earbuds and, and the music when doing said running, that's just as important as that's a key part of preparation. Having the music while you run is just important as warming up and cooling down, right? Yeah, I, I go through a mix. I have to have something that will match my footsteps to the beat. So uh I've got some little flip, game over. Uh I've got some EPMD, you got some chill. Uh, I've got, uh, for certain stretches, uh, James Brown, uh, I feel good like I do as I would. I got that. 
Uh, I've got a few things on there, but my end song, and I tweeted this out today, is Pearl Jam's I'm Alive or Alive. Uh, I love that song. It's kind of my uplift song. It's a song that I have queued up for that last stretch. Uh, Basically, that song back-to-back gets me through that last mile or so. And, uh, yeah, so you got to have the right kind of music. Uh, And believe it or not, you know, I'm going to go ahead. We're all friends here. I can admit this. Uh, Taylor Swift's Shake It Off uh, actually does pretty good with my steps as well. So whatever, if I can find a song that, that's got, like I said, that, that beat that I can, I can match my footsteps to, that works real well. But, uh, you know, if I feel like dancing a little bit too, that also helps on the run. There you go. There you go. See, these are vital tips. Anybody that's running or contemplating running, TV dropping knowledge on that very thing. So there you go. And all the best this weekend uh, as you get set to knock out another 5K. <clears throat> we got fun stuff to get to throughout the evening. Uh, at 6.30, we, we got some guests on. It's been a little minute since we had some guests. Then TB and I hitting it these past few weeks. Um, we have Renee and Sarah, both parts of the Hungry in Kentucky podcast. So looking forward to talking some food and some sports with those ladies. Uh, going to be a lot of fun, like we always do. Y'all know how we do it, guests. So uh, looking forward to talking with them here in a few minutes. You know, the last dance is coming on. You know, we'll get to that. Um, Memphis and, and, and Penny are, are, are talking again. They landed DeAndre Williams. Uh, I'll talk about that as well. TB is, is, is well-versed in all things 901 and how beloved Penny is, and, and now they are happy that they got a recruit that Kentucky thought about getting or maybe, you know, there was some dialogue between the two. Of course, he was there at Evansville when they beat Kentucky and you know, thought about transferring. He did. Ended up going to Memphis. I'll talk about that. Tough little past few days for the Kentucky cheerleading program. Three times as many titles as the basketball team. One of the premier programs in the athletic department. Everybody in positions of leadership being removed from Coach Jomo to T. Lane Williamson, the director, to the other assistants uh, due to the events. The hazing, the retreat, the Lake Cumberland situation that got investigated. So that kind of was the lead story for the week. And even more so, considering there's no sports going on due to the unprecedented times that we're in. So all that kind of stuff has been happening these past five or six days since we were on last. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a dark situation. Um and I understand the sentiment that kids will be kids in college, but also when you're part of a student organization, when you're out representing the university, the rules are just different. And I know a lot of the cheerleaders have come out in support of the folks that were uh, asked to step down and, and uh, not to believe the report in its entirety, but uh, – Whatever 
the truth is, and, and I'm leaning towards some of the things in the report that the U.K. released being true, you have to make that play. If you are representing the university in any way, there's, there's simply ways that you have to conduct yourself. And I know that the cheerleading program has been as successful as any program uh, at the University of Kentucky. Uh, as you have said multiple times, what, 21 championships in 30 years, something along those lines, with six or seven runner-ups. So it is elite. There's probably not a more successful program anywhere in the country. You know, that's taken in Alabama football, Kentucky basketball, uh, Iowa wrestling, mm-hmm. you name it, Kentucky cheerleading yeah. uh Cal says for basketball, but it is the gold standard. And, you know, they had a show, a reality show, a few years ago, uh, four or five episodes, wasn't anything too wild and crazy, but behind the scenes with the cheerleaders. And I knew, or I realized the program was elite when there was a young lady who made it to, I guess, the next to last cut when the tryout session was rolling around. And I think it was Coach Jomo basically, okay, you made it this far. Um, Unfortunately, we can't use you here. Where else would you want to go? And she said the name of the school, and he said, hold on, and called up that cheer uh, sponsor, that cheer coach, and said, look, I've got whatever her name is here. Um, She made it to this point in our tryouts. Can she have a spot on your team? The other coach (laughs) basically said, yeah. Yeah, if anyone makes it to that point on your squad, we will take them. And I thought that was something. That would be like Coach Cal saying, okay, I was recruiting this guy. Yeah, I'm not going to recruit him. Coach K, do you want this guy? And Coach K to say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's (laughs) a kind of straight situation. But uh, do I believe that they were partying too hard and and carousing? I, I don't know. But I do understand that uh, the folks at UK, the administration, you have to make a move with any group that is representing the university. And uh, it's a it, it's sad because I've met Joe Mo, I've met some of those other folks, and they are good people. But you you can't allow yourself to be put in a situation like this. That's the that's the takeaway. Yeah, I think the. When when UK Athletics sent out the initial report of the action taken, it was a three-month investigation. And I know everybody was, like you said, a lot of people were uh, upset at what happened, but it was just been looked into. This didn't just happen yesterday, and this is some kind of knee-jerk reaction. Three-month investigation and everything that went on. The word that jumped out at me was lax. L-A-X, you know, not careful, you know, maybe not strict enough, not attentive enough. But if, if they are at the lake with the team, the coaches are there, and at some points in time, maybe in eye shot of some of the things going on and don't do anything about it, that's lax. That's, you know, it's happened on your watch. It's not like they just went 
the teams themselves separate from the coaches and just did their thing and, you know, kids being kids, if you will, getting rowdy, wild and out. Coaches were there. Nothing happened. It continued to happen. It's lax. Even if it was just one parent complaining, you put yourself in a position to be complained on because you relaxed and, and didn't put a stop to what you maybe saw what happened or you were on a trip when it was happening right there at the lake or whatever. And yeah, I think know, maybe there's more to it, but the, the cheerleading department not being under the athletics, not being under anything, just kind of doing its own thing, maybe that lacks on a bigger picture. Now you got Sandy Bell over there. And it, it's, look, it's over now because <laughs> Sandy ain't playing nothing. So the fact that they were allowed to maybe have his independence for these years, maybe that was kind of lax as well. So to me, the whole word of this whole thing was just lax. Correct. And I think the bigger takeaway to me also was the fact that that some of the cheerleaders are being involved in some of the outside businesses of some of the coaches. And that's a that's a no-go. That's not handled properly. Like when, when, when Coach Kyle and Coach Stoops, when they have their camps, you know, when it's not during the <laughs> corona pandemic, but when they have their camps and the student athletes are being used in that capacity, it's under the watchful eye of the compliance department, and there's lots of T's to cross and I's to dot. And if that was not being handled correctly, that's also an issue. And that was also brought, brought up. Uh, in the investigation. So uh, to piggyback on what you're saying with a lax approach, uh, this was the best answer for that. I was unaware. I always assumed that the cheerleading program was under the athletic department anyway. Always made that assumption. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why I made that assumption, but I just, I just did, you know? Um, so that's going to be a change. Uh, to move forward, so we'll see. Uh, hopefully, they'll, they'll whoever they bring in. There's big shoes to fill, right? I mean, there, there's uh, as I said earlier, there's tradition, there's winning tradition, and then there's Kentucky cheerleading. So uh, that is uh, definitely something to keep an eye on as we kind of move into whatever this new world is going to look like uh, moving forward. Yeah, and, and they already said that the retreat is not happening going forward. So it's it's already changes and adjustments being made, um, a new culture being laid before the new coaches even brought in, and uh, it's been brought out that a lot of the you know a lot a lot is made about Kentucky basketball. Is, you know, there's no Kentucky guy that would be ready. You know, Travis Ford is the head coach, but you, you wouldn't probably give him this Kentucky job. You know, Pelfrey had some time as a head coach, different guys here and there. Um, so, you know, as far as having a, a Kentucky former cat be a coach, you know, you don't really see that on the horizon. Kentucky cheer, that's a different story. There's a lot of former Kentucky cheer alums that are coaching very good programs not quite at Kentucky's level, but very good that maybe one of them could step into these big shoes since they know the lay of the land if they want to go that direction. They might want to bring somebody else 
brand new in that doesn't have any ties to what happened over these past few years or whatever. But there are some probably worthy Kentucky chair candidates out there based on what they've accomplished at their respective schools if they want to do that. Yeah, that, uh, again, anytime you make a change in a program of that nature, like you said, it's, it's going to be an issue uh, because the standard is ridiculously high. Uh, I, I think it's been maybe 30 years since the team finished out of the top three at the national competition. I mean, that's 30 years of going to the final four is the equivalent. That is absurd. So, if you come in and, and, and make these changes and, and the team falls to number five or even number four or even number three, that's an issue. So, uh, as, as, as we talk about who's going to replace Cal, this is going to be a big-time hire, how they kind of reorganize things, get things rejuvenated. Uh, there's going to have to be some, some reaching out to alumni uh, to, to kind of keep this thing going as well. So, there's a lot of ground to, to cover. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out for sure. If we hop down to the to the nine oh one, like I said, you and I aren't huge recruiting guys anyway. Didn't talk a lot of DeAndre Williams because he never <laughs> actually said he was coming. Uh, we talked to Olivier Saar after he said he was coming. Didn't talk a lot of Matt Harms because he never said he was coming. DeAndre Williams, Evansville, there we go, Evansville, Evansville, Evansville. But he was on that team that came in and beat Kentucky in November. Uh, and, you know, things all went south for Walter McCarty, and they had a lot of different coaches. And, you know, he wants to make a move, make a change, and transfer. He popped up on Kentucky's radar because, you know, two weeks ago we were Looking at Kentucky's roster, not a lot of bigs there. This was pre-Olivier Um Those that want to panic were panicking about how is the roster going to get filled. DeAndre Williams pops up. You know, he considers Kentucky. Is he going to be another one to be what would have been the fourth grad transfer? When you add Jacob Toppin, Davion Mintz, Olivier Saar, yeah, DeAndre Williams would have been the fourth grad transfer had he chosen to come. Uh, then you hear that, well, he decides, you know, not to come to Kentucky. Kentucky backs away, what have you. And now he goes to Memphis, and his handler is talking about Kentucky didn't play right, thought they'd come in late. What they doing talking to DeAndre? They got to talk to me, blah, 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 this and that and the other. Kentucky didn't play by the rules. They tried to come into the prom late and steal the girl. All kind of just just talk from the 901. So you know the area well. Got love for Memphis. Got family in Memphis. Um, what do you make of DeAndre Williams' handler <laughs> popping off after he decided to transfer to Memphis? Um, you know, this is – we dodged another bullet. We meaning Kentucky. Uh, anytime, and I would, again, we're not recruiting guys, but if you go back and look at people that were kind of on Kentucky's radar and then for whatever reason 
Kentucky cooled on them. More times than not, there were some underlying issues. And I would say that, you know, a bullet was dodged today, or not today, but here, uh, with this situation. When you've got a handler saying, no, 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 and, and we don't know, is he, is, he, is he the person to talk to? That's the thing. Anytime you talk to these recruiting gurus uh, and you get to the, the, the ugly side of recruiting, and it's not pretty, and we don't need to pretend that it is, but it, you, you need to know who's got the juice. Is it is it a family member? Is it a is it a who who is it to talk to? And I don't know if Kentucky had the wrong person, and and there was not talking to the right person. You would think if the contact was with the player directly, that's kind of who you need to start with. Uh, but yeah, if, if you've got kind of a hanger on type individual, and this is the response, yeah, I, I would say Kentucky dodged a, a, a bullet. And this dude's been around the block. He's not – it's it's probably weird when you 18 as a senior in high school having a handler, uh, and now this guy's been around and probably able to make his own decisions, but he's still got a handler. So think of that what you will. This handler's doing all this. Imagine – 10, 12 games into the regular season, you know, it's, I'm not saying he's going to be LeVar Ball, but it probably wouldn't have been uh, the most fun situation to be having to put up with for an entire season. Right. And, and I, I don't think people understand that even once you get uh, a young man on the campus, or a, or, a, or a young woman or a student athlete, there is it's just not like okay they're here and you have to go on. There's a constant dialogue with the folks back home. You know it's no big secret that there were some unhappy folks. Uh, I don't know if you want to call them hangers on, but uh, unhappy individuals during the 38-1 season. You know, there are a lot of folks that, you know, they're, they're, their people weren't happy with how that was going, but you, you can't really go public because no one wants to be the, the reason that that thing got derailed, you know. So mm-hmm. part of coaching, whether it's Calipari, whether it's Stoops, whether it's, you know, Craig Skinner with the volleyball team, uh, <laughs> whoever it is, You've got to you've got to know your X's and O's. You've got to balance the personalities on your team, and you've got to deal with the people in the background. You know that's that's part of it. And if you've got someone who is got some uh, folks that are a little bit more difficult to deal with, again, it's one of those cost-benefit type situations, right, where, okay, this person has a headache, but, you know, the kid is, you know, a five-star. Like, you, you know, you give a little bit more leeway, I would I would assume. I don't know, but I'm just – and if someone's not going to bring that 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 positive, then, then, okay, that negative will outweigh that, and let's, let's head in a, a, in a different direction. But to your earlier point, 
all the ooh and on about what the, the, the men's hoops team will look like next year and um, pretty good. I mean, pretty, pretty darn good. Ignore Jeff Goodman ranking them like number 25 in the next season. Ignore that. Uh, but, yeah, they, they, they're looking pretty good. You know, on paper, and of course, you know, there's going to be, whenever the season starts, it's going to be the same old, same old. Uh, but yeah, you know, I, I have a feeling that whenever that season does begin, Kentucky will be Kentucky. I don't see any reason why not. Yeah, yeah. The um, London trip, you know, they had the, the big trip to play Michigan in London this year at the, was the O2 Arena, I think it's called over there has gotten postponed, I think it's either 2022 or 2023 when they go there. And then it's the home and home in Michigan in 21 and 22, and then I think London in 23. So they're trying to get another game, a home game. Uh, is there anybody you'd like to see them get? Are you one of these that, you know, the home schedule, which eh, sometimes we cover those games against, not so powerful teams. Do you think they get somebody big in there, possible a, a, a name brand, somebody that will make you kind of perk your eyes up when you see them, if and when basketball resumes, whatever that is. I, I think with that open spot, you've got to to look at, and I've seen some articles written that things are going to be more regional because with travel and and with with the 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 COVID nineteen still out there, uh, I, I think you can add a team that is a bus ride away. You can add a Cincinnati. Uh, I think that would be a, a good game uh, to add. I've seen a lot of people say they want to play Memphis, and you know that would make things interesting for for me and Mama B. <laughs> but you know, I would I would you know. Play Cincinnati, beat Cincinnati. One of my favorite tidbits is Cincinnati men's basketball has not defeated the University of Kentucky since 1939. Wow. 1939. Now, they haven't played every year, but still, 1939 is the last time the Bearcats defeated the Wildcats. Start of World War Two. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, you know, I'm, I'm that carries sure a lot more weight than were. my. Carries a lot more weight than my Cowboys have won since the Clinton administration. That, I like the sound of that one. Better. Right. Right. We're we, we going back to FDR. <laughs> now we're going yeah. back to FDR's first term. Uh, so again, yeah, they haven't played every year. But I think that 24 to 11 game in the 80s before the shot clock, I think that's what put a damper on it. Because the last few times the teams have played, it's been in the tournament. Uh, you know, back in 2015, uh, when that one – no, that was West Virginia, the guy that actually said something. But since that, you know, we blow them out then. The game in 2005 with Jason Maxfield on that – uh, Bearcats team. That was actually a pretty decent game uh, up in Indy uh, back in 2005. That was a tough 
that 05 run was very, very tough for Kentucky. The first game was against Eastern Kentucky in the first round. And, you know, those games are always tough. And then the second-round matchup was with Cincinnati, and that was also tough. Um, that was so long ago that Nick Lachey was one of the celebrities they put up on the big jumbotron to kind of put that in perspective oh, for folks. Yeah, I know. They date myself a little bit with that one, um, you know. That's right. For the 98 Degrees fans uh, in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's when Travis Ford was at Eastern, right? You know, yeah. Talked about yeah. former cats and, you know, could one become a coach eventually. But we're transitioning right now, and we'll still end up talking some sports. But for those that listen regularly, y'all know that we will talk some food, um, what we like, what we don't like. Had food guests on in the past. We've got a food Guest on coming right now. We have Renee and Sarah, and they make the Hungry in Kentucky podcast, aka Hinky. So follow them on Twitter at Hungry in Kentucky, and we are proud to have them right now with us on Cats Talk Wednesday. So welcome to the show, Sarah, and welcome to the show, Renee. How y'all doing? Hey, we're good. good. How are you? We are good. Happy to have y'all. Hadn't had any guests in a little bit, so always fun when we get somebody else on to just yak with and talk UK and food. You can't get any better than that. Now, who doesn't like food and sports? That's right. That's our two favorite things. Now, Terry's going to roll his eyes, so Renee, we're just going to have to go ahead and, and get this on out of the way. Because we got TB, Renee, the fellow Harlan Countyan. So we got to go ahead and get That's that right. out there in the open. So we got we got Harlan <laughs> County in the house again this evening. And the reason he rolled his eyes, I've had you know, several Harlan County guests on, Freddie Maggard, you know, Lewis Morris, Macy Morris' dad, uh, George Massey played for UK, went to Cumberland. So, he got a good dose of Harlan County since we've been doing the show together. So, he will... You know, in just be like, oh man, Harley County, here we go again. So, have well, I, know, I know you, can, I know you can attest to this, but there's some really good people from Harlan County, and I, even if I am kind of partial to it. Yeah, right. You know, and TV, you met a bunch of Harlan Countyans at the fair, right? The whole booth at the Kentucky State Fair. Yeah, the, yeah, that's, we that's do the that. best thing about the fair. Is, is meeting folks because they – I don't think it's all 120 counties, but it's a, a sizable portion of the counties that put on uh, – that have booths and, you know, come see our county and everything like that. And uh, I do. I, Harley County is one of my favorites. I've got it in the top ten. I'll put the top ten, Vinny. <laughs> we appreciate it. Now, now, Renee did go to Harlan City School. She's a Harlan Green Dragon, so – I got, That's you know, right. everybody's got their faults, everybody's got their faults, but she's still a Harley <laughs> County. So the rescues and the Green Dragons used to clash, but it's, it's still all good, though. Well, I married a Redskin. Exactly. For, yeah, I got some <laughs> <Timberland>, so. <laughs> How did you ladies take us back to before day one? 
like the idea of even coming together, doing a Hungry in Kentucky podcast, a food podcast, a food blog, who contacted who, how did it start, what got the ball rolling. I know y'all are friends um, with, with Carrie Lewis of Girls for Sports. She's a friend of the show. We had her on a while back, so shout out to her. But how did this whole idea come to life? Sarah, do you want this one? Uh, uh, sure. Yeah, um, Renee and I have been friends for like over 10 years now, and uh, we've worked together for most of that time. And in our spare time, like outside of work, we'd like to go to local restaurants and, you know, have some good friend time and just hang out. And we decided one day that we thought it would be fun to do a blog where we talk about our favorite local restaurants. So we've had our blog for almost, what, three years now, I think, Renee? Yeah. Yeah, and then we're coming up on our one-year anniversary of our podcast, Hungry in Kentucky. So, and our blog is Bluegrass Bourbon and Eats. If anyone wants to check that out, but yeah, that's how we got started with the blog. And then, um, like you said, Carrie Lewis from Girls Bear Sports uh, approached us about doing a podcast. We've been on her podcast a few times as well. So we became friends with her, and she's our awesome podcast producer. She just cranking out podcasts like crazy, producing and just she, yeah. got her own little pod umbrella network family of podcasts. She was doing it all. She's doing <laughs> yeah, it. She's now officially <laughs> certified. She's the Carrie Lewis production. Uh, she's got an LLC, so she's she's good to go business wise. Yeah, she's legit. Yeah, official. It's yep. right. It's right. So we got Renee and Sarah of the Hungry in Kentucky podcast on with us. And I've listened I, I listened to your most recent one. So definitely congratulations on the almost one year anniversary. And I'll have to flash back to those one I listened to before that one. But in this most recent one, we had we had shade for the Cheesecake Factory. We had hatred for Zoom. <laughs> we had a cookie-eating dog. All kind of stuff was going on in this last episode. So, uh, so is it as bad as it seems, Sarah? Did they, is, it, is your palate kind of limited? They kind of make it sound like you don't like to try new stuff. Is it really that serious? or Enlighten us. I mean, I'm not the one with the limited palate. That's Renee. No, that was that's me. Okay. No, that's me. They okay. pick on me yeah. a lot. Uh, yeah. yeah. Is I don't, that serious? I don't drink. They do, so they do all the beer stuff, and so I come up with games to make them drink more because it's funny. Uh, but no, I'm the one that's super picky, for sure. Now, how yeah, does I mean, that work being on top of a food podcast? <laughs> yeah, Renee. How does that work? <laughs> <laughs> so so I did promise her that I would try to reach out, and I have done a little bit. I've not done as much as I had originally planned, but I told her I was going to try to branch out and try some things I've never tried before. But what, since I do have a limited palate, I literally order those type of things that I do like from restaurants or something in that wheelhouse, and Sarah will order other things. And if we go somewhere where, like if we go to a brewery where I don't drink, I'm looking at the ambiance, location, the whole atmosphere, feel about the thing, and I'll bring a, we'll bring friends and stuff with us because I don't feel like it's fair 
to really give anybody a critique when you didn't have enough sample size. So we'll bring a group of friends with us and get everybody's input, and then we'll put everybody's information together in order to be able to give them a proper uh, critique or talk about their their establishment. So, so we find a way to make it work, even though I'm I'm the the tough one to deal with. And I think I cut you off there. You told you started something about cheesecake factory, and I, I didn't mean to step on you. Oh, you're fine. I was just gonna say that I think our whole thing about the cheesecake factory started with Carrie's neighbors were ordering cheesecake factory, and we were just talking about how bland it is. But that's how we pick on Renee too. So she's not a big spice person or anything <laughs> no. like that. So that <laughs> that was a big. It, it's it's all in jest though. So, in an effort to to get you to step out of your comfort zone a little bit, is there going to be a meeting in the middle? How, what kind of crazy are y'all going to try to get her to try something real crazy, or is this going to be crazy by her standards? Or are y'all like bringing squid and sushi, or what? Is there a meeting oh, in the yeah, middle? Oh no, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're trying. No, so it would have to be, be crazy by my standards. <laughs> Yeah, I mean her standards though. Crazy is not that far out of the box. Like, like I don't know. I'm I'm thinking about it. We're we're thinking about trying to get her to do like easier into different things. So we won't throw her out in the deep end just yet. So but soon free we'll do cor- something. Oh, okay. Free coronavirus. <laughs> How did y'all the judges? Yeah pick a spot on the map and say, let's go there? Is it stuff you've heard about? Do you go to Lexington more or venture out to where do you go or, or look for and places to try out and, and write about? Oh, go ahead, Renee, if there you want you. to take this one. Okay. Uh, so we, we our original plan was to do the whole state, but because of our work schedule, because we still have full-time jobs, uh, we can't get out the whole state. So we've been basically staying around the Lexington area. We're trying to venture a little bit outside of just a bit close to the Lexington area. We went through and we started making a list of as many local restaurants as we can come up with, and we've been trying to hit all of them. I think eventually that is the plan. And But we do go to places and scope them out before we will talk about them. Because uh, we don't want we don't want to dog anybody out or anything like that. But if we really like it, we're going to bring it up and we're going to talk about it. If they impressed us, if we really enjoyed, they offered something unique, whether it be like a unique location, like Zim's Cafe, for example, it's in a courthouse. How crazy is that? Uh, and the food is fantastic, and uh, the wait staff is great. So we're we're going to bring things like that up that are a little unique and out of the ordinary, and. We will reach out to management staff or the owners and see if they would be willing to sit down and do an interview with us, and we will sit down and talk to them, get all the behind-the-scenes coming straight from them. This isn't just reading online, finding articles that other people have written to get their opinion. We're wanting to hear it straight from them. So any information that we give you is not third- or fourth-hand information. It comes straight from the source. And we try we try food. We want to usually do an appetizer, an entree, and we usually try dessert. And if there's beverages that are local or 
homemade. We'll try those. And we take pictures of all that. And then plus we want you to see what the place looks like. So we always try to include all of that. So if you read our article, you get the story behind of how their business started and what their idea of how they operate is, what kind of food you can get there, what it looks like. And you already know a lot about this place before you even walk in the door if you read our article before you go in. And it helps promote local business. Wow. Y'all kind of get the whole all-encompassing perspective for people that read, for sure. Um, Which restaurant did you say was in the courthouse? It's called Zim's Cafe. It's one of Guida Michael's uh, uh, restaurants. It's downtown Lexington. It's in the Limestone Hall, the old courthouse. Oh, okay. used to be there. It's got the Lexington Visitor Center in there, and um, Limestone Hall event uh, planning is up on the up on the third floor, I believe. It's a really it's a really nice central area. You can get to the back end of it by Short Street, and I mean it's just it's a really cool, unique place. And you're not going to see very many restaurants inside a courthouse, and so it's so it's really cool. Yeah, sure. I mean, TV jumping anytime. You know, don't, don't let me just be talking the whole time. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, and let's. I'm not. Let's TV. I'm not making fun. But we last time we talked about food. I don't think I knew it, but TV is not a fan of mac and cheese. Are y'all? In that boat, or y'all like it, just like it, grenades there. <laughs> We've actually I had a lot of conversation <laughs> about mac and cheese. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't like it either, so I'm right there with you. Wow. Now, we, now Beth, after dissecting <laughs> a lot into this, we I think we've discovered that Sarah is actually okay with fresh homemade, that so she can do that. Uh, the like the box, anything like the Velveeta or the Kraft or anything that's in the box that she cannot do that. She is not a fan. Yeah, of that. I have PTSD from childhood of Velveeta shells and cheese. I never <laughs> liked it, and then my mom used to put vegetables in it to make me like it. So now I just oh. hate peas and Velveeta shells and cheese. So I don't eat either ever. It's disgusting. So vegetables. I'm, I'm there with you, Terry. Vegetables will make you like it. No. <laughs> the TV, you don't fool with it at all, either, do you? I I don't do cheese except on pizza. I know I'm uh, I'm I'm a little picky myself. I don't adventure out and do too many strange and new things. So I, I'm in the same boat. I I kind of stick to the rivers and lakes that I'm used to. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm with you, TV. I'm with you. <laughs> Yeah, I think we found out, like, about each other, too, that she, I mean, I'm picky about some things. Not as many things as Renee, but I think I'm more pickier than I thought before we started this podcast, that's for sure. We are two and two. We got two on each side of the the food (laughs) division line. Something that we have really loved since doing the podcast and doing the food blog, we have gotten to meet some incredible people who are just down to earth, who love and have a passion for what they do and love the community that they work in and donate to. And 
And it, that has been, if nothing else, I told her, I said, even if the blog or the podcast stopped tomorrow, I have enjoyed every moment of it. Not only just being with her, but plus also the people that we've gotten to meet because of it. Yeah, same. Absolutely. We feel the same way. You know, the, the gifts we've gotten to have and, and people mm-hmm. we got to meet and people you wouldn't expect to jump on. TB, I might have cut you off, but, but jump in there, man. Well, I'm just saying I, I like what you ladies are doing because it's very similar to these shows that you see on the Food Network. Uh, my girls and I, we are into uh, – uh, Chef Robert Irvine and all the restaurant possible, oh, yeah. possible love those shows. But it's one of those things you, you pass, you know, a diner every day in your town. But you don't realize there's a story behind the diner. Like there's a reason yeah. that someone got into opening up a restaurant more than just, hey, I'm going to make some money. It is, I've got these recipes I want to share when people come in. And there's more to it than than just the food. So I do like uh, when you ladies are saying, you look at the ambiance, you kind of get the story of of how this person opened up this restaurant, how this, how you know, how it all kind of came together. Because some of those stories are just fantastic stories that need to be told. Yes, they oh, yeah. Hard, and restaurant business is a hard business, and not everybody is making a buku of money. You know, Cheesecake Factory, right. the people that are CEOs of them, they're making good money. But these local places that only have like one place, like there, a lot of them are struggling to make ends meet. But they go every every day. They go to work, and they do what they love, and they put good food out that they're passionate about, and they love watching people smile when they eat their food. And those people right there are the people's stories that we're trying to tell. And, and that's fantastic because, especially here, here I am sound like one of those commercials, Vinny. In these unprecedented times. You know, uh, you know, pay attention to. We'll share this together. But but those small businesses, those those restaurants that have uh, a particular dish that you like, that's what really makes the community. To be honest with you, yeah. And when you lose those restaurants, like you could get McDonald's anywhere, right? That's the the up and downside of I can go to California and get a Big Mac. I can go to New York and get a Papa John's pizza. But but this particular restaurant that there's only one of, I can only get there, you know, mac and cheese. I can only get this place's catfish right. sandwich. And that's what makes it special, especially if they're bringing in some of the cultural roots, you know, uh, of, of, you know, Harlan County, let's say. Right. <laughs> kind of makes it <laughs> that work. Uh-huh. Uh, that's, that, that's fantastic. Like here in Louisville, there's things that, we have on the menu the hot brown derby pie that tie into the Kentucky Derby. So your food is what tells the story. You know, that's the that's what I really like. Well, you know, yeah, you exactly. Kentucky Derby, and there's food that goes so much hand-in-hand hand with Kentucky Derby, and it goes with sports. Absolutely. And, like, people, like, when you have a game, you either want pizza, buffalo chicken dip, or you want wings. And, they're like all that ties together and creates an experience and then gives you time that you're spending with your friends and family as well. And we've really missed our sports. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you, you can just look at like the spreads people put out for the Super Bowl. It's not just, yeah. hey, let's come watch the game. It's a, it's a fellowship. 
you know, not to get too philosophical, but you, you're breaking bread with people, and it is a fellowship. You are. And yeah, so that's why I like what, what you ladies are doing, kind of like I said, telling people stories and, and pointing out great spots to eat. Awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah, that's, that's definitely what I do. And I will say, no, it was like probably two years ago, I think we done a bracket for uh, for Super Bowl and trying to figure out what is the ultimate Super Bowl food. And believe it or not, buffalo chicken dip won out, and it wasn't close. Wow. Oh, I would have thought I'm not a fan of the down, buffalo. Thought, this is actually going to be boring, but it was actually really interesting how it turned out. Mm. I'm not super picky, but I'm not the buffalo flavor guy, buffalo shrimp, buffalo wings. Oh, huh. but that's see, that's me. I like honey <laughs> barbecue, I'm not, I'm, but I don't I'm, like buffalo. Yeah, right. Yeah, I right. Buffalo. yeah. <laughs> I'm not mad at it for winning, but I, I would have voted elsewhere. <laughs> well, you would think that like really shocked. <laughs> you would think that wings would have won that, but I feel like they went yeah. out kind of early. They did. So Always. it's interesting to see yeah. what people really think. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We got Renee and the people and that love Sarah. that buffalo chicken dip, they really love that buffalo chicken dip. Let me tell you, and you can't talk about it. That's true. That's true. How can people find the podcast and the blog? You know, it's hungry in Kentucky on Twitter, aka Hinky, like I mentioned. How else can they find everything that y'all are doing? Um, uh, yeah, so you I'll can find. So I'll do the blog, or you want to do the podcast on the blog? Oh yeah, that's fine. Um, <laughs> you can find the podcast, like you said, on uh, Inst- or, well Instagram and Twitter at Hungry and Ky, and um, our podcast comes out every other Tuesday. So we'll have one coming out next Tuesday night, and that's on anywhere that you listen to podcasts, like Apple Podcasts or. Um, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, all that stuff. Yeah, and then uh, no the blog, we have a we have a website. It's bbandeats.com. We just kind of shortened it down a little bit. And uh, Twitter, we shortened it down a little bit for Twitter, and it's bbandeats on Twitter. But Instagram and Facebook is actually our full name, which is Bluegrass Bourbon and Eats. Okay. Okay. Um, I have to look at that. When I look for Hungry in Kentucky on Facebook, I have to look for Bluegrass Perfect Eats instead. And speaking of eating, Renee, you are calling in right now on your lunch break. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> yes. Man. Yeah, uh, Sarah and I both uh, are health care workers. We work at UK Hospital. So she's actually got her day off, and this is uh, this is my last day of my work week. So then I have a day off tomorrow. Wow. Well, definitely props to y'all for uh, everything in general that you do, but more so now in these unprecedented health times uh, for you out there what you're doing each and every day. And then you coming on and talking to us in between bites of your lunch. So, my goodness. Hey, you know, it's a dedication. They wouldn't want to miss this. That's right. (laughs) Definitely appreciate it. You talked about all the people that y'all have gotten to meet, and the, the, another duo that we had on is kind of going around. We had the Kentucky Taste Buds, Tamara and Lee. Had y'all met up with them or talked with them before? 
Uh, we've we, talked a we little bit on social I, media. On yeah, Twitter? Yeah. 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 I know Carrie knows them, yeah. and I think she's helped them a couple of times with uh, their podcast, but we haven't got to meet, like actually physically meet them yet. Right, right. So that's just, you know, everybody just, just promoting the state like you all are doing. Like Terry mentioned, just telling the stories from the entire perspective, not just a Yelp review of somebody gave one star because they were in a bad mood, something like that. So you guys do the work and, and actually dig in uh, and not just checking these places out on the surface. So definitely props to y'all for that. And the other episode, it might have been the first episode of the podcast I listened to, it was, let's see, uh, I think the the gentleman that was on there with you it was his last episode, and it was also the business that made the s'mores in Lexington. Was it uh, s'more than a feeling? Uh, s'more than a feeling. Those, those s'mores, yes. Oh, they sounded delicious. I want to try some so of those good. s'mores. My God, they are so good. They are so good. I love so the name guys, too, and they like he's hand making everything. He's hand making the graham crackers. Who does that? Uh, he does. He's yeah. hand making the marshmallows. Um, he's got yeah, one those marshmallows that I, I fell in love with. It is unbelievable how different he biting into a homemade marshmallow versus when you get the store. It's not even close to being the same. Um, the one I just love was called the berry white, and it was I had white chocolate and then a berry compote that he made on it. And it was oh. awesome. Yeah, that a coffee one too. That was really good. And he gave me extra like espresso flavored marshmallows to take home, which were fantastic. Like I would pay him for so many more. Yes. <laughs> they were very yeah, good. like the, tra- the traditional s'more. I'm like, eh, whatever, you know. But yeah. all the creativity that he had and all the different flavors that you don't even think about putting into a s'more like the bacon and all the, the sweet ones and oh yeah the ideas that he had, I can't wait to get up there and try those. And like you said, I'm not just usually jumping for joy about a s'more, but, man, I can't wait to try those. No, and they're huge. Like, they're like sandwich size. They're not just like your little tiny s'more. And he makes yeah, them for huge. you right, right in front of your face and torches them right there so you're getting a very hot s'more ready to go. And it's homemade, and, and it, it will blow your mind. I've actually not stopped thinking about it since I had it. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. And I think, you, did he do a contest about trying to name the business, or he just come up with more than a feeling himself? Or how did that? I think he was talking to some friends. Did he say he was talking to some okay. friends and just happened to come up with it? I think so. That seems like it was so long yeah. ago. Yeah. It was but only like and I don't know if you mentioned. I asked him if it wasn't about the music. There's a song that's more than a feeling, and I thought well, he, might, yeah. he might just be a, a fan of the song, and he said, no, but I do like the song. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if y'all talk Transformers during that episode or if I was just thinking about it because my thought went to – I don't know about it being corny, but I was thinking it's more than meets the eye. If you're going to go with, like, Optimus Prime and Transformers and stuff like that, but your feet have been... Well, that would be good, too. You're dating yourself, Sydney. Hey, man, you know. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Bumblebee, that was my dude, man. (laughs) Um, 
And flashing back to episode two, I can't remember which one it was, but who of you all got to meet Lynn Bowden when he did the Oh, that was Renee. Uh, so jealous. That was me. That was me there. I was, was actually at work. I was actually at work. Sarah, the- Sarah was off. And he oh, was coming yeah. through and just and doing rounds. And he came, he came into the pharmacy where I work. And they told us, they said, there's a football player coming. And I was in my mind trying to figure out, like, who could this possibly be? Because Sarah and I are both sports nuts. So I was, like, in my mind trying to say, like, is there somebody in town that I'm not aware of? Or is it Cash Daniel just happened to be on campus? And so as soon as he walked through the door, I was trying not to be an embarrassing fangirl. But I was like, oh, my God, it's Lynn Bowden. Like, I'm dying. And they had just won the belt bell bowl. It hadn't even been that long. And when he walked in, I was like, everybody should have erupted into applause and thanked this man for what he did for us, right? But I was the only one that was like, ah. You know, I was trying not to be super embarrassing. But I got a picture with him and sent it to Sarah, and I was like, guess who I got to meet? <laughs> yeah, all the cool stuff happens when I'm not at work. I'm so upset. <laughs> And she rubbed it in too. She didn't. Hey, she gonna rub it in. Look who. Yeah, she you did. That on. <laughs> yeah, how rude. <laughs> you know I love Lynn Bowden. Wow. Man. How could you not? True. Yeah. You, yeah. Like you said, what he did for the program, unbelievable. Yes. Oh my gosh. On his back this year, he really did. If it wasn't for him, especially running out of quarterbacks, and he is a wide receiver playing quarterback. I'm like, you know, who would have thought that our season would have ended up this way? Nobody could have pictured it. No, no. And his entire career, his career had already been great before they switched him to playing quarterback the second half of the season. And then he took it to a whole other level when he did those, those last eight games. Unbelievable. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Completely unbelievable. Are you a Raiders fan now that he got drafted by the Raiders, or did you already have a team? Or are you going to follow Lynn and let the Raiders be your team now? I mean, I could let the Raiders be my team. I, I'm a Colts girl myself, but I mean, I could follow Lynn Bowden. I'm not beholden to anybody. Gotcha. What about you, Renee? I'm. Um. I'm, I'm going to cheer on my cats no matter what team that they're on, as long as it's not the Patriots because I just can't do it. Um, so <laughs> I'm, I'm normally, for me, with it when it comes to pro sports, I'm more about the players than I am the franchise, especially where we in here in Kentucky we don't have a pro franchise of any sort here. So I follow the players and used to back in the day they would stay in one place and you could really. You know, because, like, Brett Favre played for the Packers forever, and you could just, you know, really fall in love with them. Now they move around so much, it's really hard to grow that affinity for them, I feel like, for a team. But I love the players. There are certain players that I really enjoy watching. Uh, and so I really have gotten more with pro to follow players more than have has be on a team, really. That makes sense. That makes sense for sure. Um, so, will it be 
next Tuesday when the next episode comes out for Hungry Kentucky? Yep. Next okay. Tuesday. Y'all be sure we should to check be. them out. Follow them on Twitter. Go ahead. We should be back into the Fort Lewis studios with Carrie, so it should be a, a great episode. I feel I feel good about it. Yeah. First time back yeah, together. Yeah, this will be again. our first episode where we're yeah, we're not stopping anymore. We're actually gonna all be in the same room together for the first time since March. So yeah, we're we're looking forward to it. Yeah. Everybody be sure to to check that out. Uh, and y'all got a nice vibe going. Carrie jumping in and y'all just talking about whatever food or whoever's drinking wood and throwing in some sports in there as well. So it's it's fun to listen to y'all for sure. Thanks Thank for you. listening. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks yeah, for having us. Keep up the good work. Fantastic job. Yeah, keep up <laughs> the good work, y'all. Definitely enjoying <laughs> Thank it. You. And bringing Kentucky to everybody and, and giving them a informed take, you know, like you said, you guys really going in and, and getting the history and, and you you know what you're talking about before you just go out and just randomly say something about a place. So that's that means a lot. Oh yeah. Yeah, we wanted it. We wanted it because we know like a lot of writers will put in their own perspective and their thoughts and stuff and we wanted it to actually be real and be straight from them. So anything that you ever hear us say is coming from the source. It's not us trying to come up with things. So so yeah. We've we have enjoyed every minute of it. Good deal. We enjoyed having y'all. Hope the rest of the off day goes good for you, Sarah. Hope the rest of the work night goes good for you, Renee. And we'll have to get y'all on Thank again you. sometime. We have last talk with y'all. Yeah, this was awesome. You all can come on another podcast sometime. Yeah, absolutely. Just let us know. Let us know. We'll hop on there. We'll do it. Thank you, guys. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, ladies. Appreciate it. Thank you all so much. (laughs) Thanks. Have a good evening. You You too. too. Hungry in Kentucky podcast. Sarah and Renee. At Hungry in Kentucky on Twitter. Also, Bluegrass Bourbon and Eats. Be sure to check them out. They are doing their thing, TV. First time we had guests in a minute, and it was fun as always, man. Absolutely. And like I said, they, I, I do like that they go a little bit deeper than, okay, these cheese sticks are not very good, or there's these 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 restaurants, these kind of one-off, one-owner restaurants that aren't chains, there's stories to be told, and that's part of it. You know, the ambiance is, is, is part of it, so I, I like that aspect of, of what they're doing as well. Yeah, for sure, for sure. We got one hour down. <clears throat> Covered a lot already. Still got an hour to go. Thanks again to Hungry Kentucky Podcast. Sarah and Renee, y'all be sure to follow them. All our social media, Instagram, check out the podcast every other Tuesday as well. Take a quick little break. Be right back. We got the last dance and plenty of other stuff to talk about. This is Cats Talk Wednesday. Penny Hardy, Terry, TB, 5K Brown, Brandon Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com.
Welcome back, y'all. Catch Talk Wednesday, Vinny Hardy, Terry Brown, Brandon Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com, 845-277-9373. Brought to you by the Smoky Mountain Trader, 5063 Suite 1, West Andrew Johnson Highway, Morristown, Tennessee, 423587 1700 and mydoterra.com, slash Hardy one alternative avenue to getting yourself feeling better again. Appreciate both of them helping us bring the show to you each and every week. These uncertain times, the pace of life has kind of slowed down a little bit. It's not as hectic as it normally is. People aren't moving around as much. Is there any soapbox-worthy stuff happening as often for one Terry TV brand? No, and, you know, I've been kind of, like I said, laying low and, and doing my running, and uh, I was able to get my girls some lunch today from a local eatery, uh, Shark, you know, uh, you introduced me to that one, oh. uh, so I was uh, able to get the girls uh, some little shrimp baskets, and Mama B had the uh, had the whiting meal, I had the catfish sandwich and shrimp today, so uh, yeah, we, we try to hit uh, hit it up, you know, once every couple of weeks, and 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 uh, had a good meal there. So, uh, no, no real soapbox moment, uh, to be honest with you. I know we're going to talk about the last dance. I got a lot to say about that, but uh, <laughs> nothing, nothing's really jumping out at me. Did you say that I introduced you to sharks? Is that? I heard y'all have been there before. Yeah. We met no, I, I had not. Now, Mama B and my aunt had been there a bunch of times when it was a different location. Uh, oh, okay. But we had not been to, to that, that. There's that new location uh, that we went to, uh, same one where we, you know, uh, your dad and uncle and everything, we had a good old uh, time there. So that's where we went uh, for lunch today. So uh, I try to get mm-hmm. lunch for the girls about once a week and, and me and Mama B get them together, uh, some care packages. She cooks them up some food, and, and, and I take it to them, and, and, I, and I know they enjoy that. Yeah, yeah. And if I was I was going around and, and doing the food bar thing, I would give them a good review because my food was definitely good when we ate up there. It sure was. We had fun. Some good food coming out of Sharks. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I, you know, like I said, we try to get that in the rotation, and absolutely just uh, uh, just fantastic. For sure. Oh, before we get to last dance, I got I to gotta backtrack. Maybe I was the last one. Maybe I was one of the last ones as far as Kentuckians go to watch it, being out of state. You know, the black and blue documentary, with Nate Northington, the late Greg Page, Houston Hogg, Wilbur Hackett, how they integrated the entire SEC. Uh, Paul Karam, the quarterback for Kentucky, who was a teammate of those gentlemen, did a lot of the heavy lifting and made sure he was tireless in getting the statue done and the documentary done and making sure that people started to know the story of the four trailblazers. The documentary premiered, you know, in, in theaters throughout the state last year. 
I think Middlesbrough was the closest one for me. I wasn't able to get up there and watch it then. And then it's starting to air on KET. Of course, being out of state, I don't have KET. Grew up watching it, don't have that. And eventually it's supposed to air nationwide on, you know, PBS. So instead of just waiting for it to air here, I just, you know, the DVD is available on the site now. I think blackandblue.org is what it is. I just went there and, and bought me a copy of the DVD because I wanted to, to watch it. And I talked about it a couple weeks ago, a couple episodes ago on the Believe in Kentucky podcast that I do on Believe.com. So, but I hadn't got to talk about it here. Just the whole the whole story, the whole journey. We were fortunate enough to have Nate Northington on here with us, which, you know, we just talked about the cool things you get to do and people you get to meet. And he's right there at the top of the list for you and I. I don't think I speak out of turn for you even saying that. A lot of the great people we've been able to interact with, he's right up there. We talked to Nate Northington, integrated the SEC from your hometown of Louisville. He came on this show with us. So talked to him, his book. He, you know, he finally kind of was able to talk about all those things that were dark and a dark time for him. The documentary went into all those details. It went to Middlesbrough. It interviewed a lot of great pages family, his brother, his cousins. Um, and the the fact that he 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 passed tragically, but how there was no no closure. When he got injured in practice, the bulk of the team never saw him again. Nate Northington went to the hospital and was able to be in there with him and saw him hooked up to everything after he was paralyzed. But to just see a a young, strong, athletic dude, you're out there knocking heads with him, playing a game that you love with him at the college level, get injured and then you never see him again, the Brian song movie, Gil Sayers, Brian Piccolo, that's a tad before our time, but I've seen it, know about it. Gil Sayers come to visit him a lot before he passed. They didn't even have Brian's song. It was just he's injured. Days later, he passes away. You never saw him again. And that's what's happening when Nate Northington goes out there on the field against Ole Miss to integrate the SEC. Not saying he would have been thinking about that had things been great. It could have been the greatest circumstances. Life was perfect. He still might not have went out there and said, you know what, I'm making history. I'm the first African-American to play in this conference. But he definitely wasn't thinking about it with everything that was going on. He just lost the other African-American that had decided to come to Kentucky with him, just passed away, playing in a game that shouldn't even be playing at the time. He talked about that as well. Now there's grief counseling. The game probably gets canceled. He was internalizing and dealing with all of that himself, which was unbelievable, which makes you even understand no no wonder he transferred and went to Western to just kind of get a new start and try to step away from everything or try to process everything. But it it was excellent. It was well done. Paul Karen's been on different shows. And he will always say that he was watching that color orange 30 for 30 on ESPN where Condrich Holloway was the first black quarterback to play in the SEC. He's like, that's great. That's awesome. No disrespect to Condrich. You know, 
He deserves all the praise he gets for what he did. But he kept waiting for Nate Norlington, Greg Page, Wilbur, Hackett, and Houston Hogg to be mentioned as you know, five years before Conjure did this. In the SEC was integrated by Kentucky. You know, no narration of that was mentioned in the Conjure Holloway documentary. So that's, that's what kind of got him thinking, hey, we need something about us. So that got the ball rolling for all of that. It was well done. It was uh, great to watch. I talked with my dad about it because he was he was 14 in 67, living in southeast Kentucky, three hours from Lexington, right where I was born and raised. But he, he didn't remember it, didn't hear anything about it at the time. I said, when do you first remember that kind of entering your consciousness, what Nate Northington did? And the first he could remember was, like, his senior year. So, like, four years later, he, like, um, it was mentioned or heard about it or kind of knew about it. We had Billy Reed on there talking about how they dropped the ball on the coverage. Um, but finally, all these years later, glad to see them kind of get the recognition that they deserve. We go by those statues every time we cover a game on our way out of Kroger Field, going over to the training facility. Uh, been up there, had the boys there for the spring game, and they got their pictures there taken with it. And uh, It was long overdue, but glad they finally got to receive uh, that recognition. Yeah, it's a great documentary, and it challenges this narrative, right? The narrative that's out there for our beloved alma mater is, well, Kentucky's just racist. Right. I hear that a lot, a lot here in my hometown of Louisville. But while Glory Road was going on, and a lot of us are skeptical of the portrayal of uh, uh, Coach Rupp and Kentucky in general in Glory Road, uh, on the other side of campus, Kentucky was integrating S. EC football, and I don't think that can be overlooked. You know, that needs to be talked about a lot more because that's not easy to do. This is SEC football. Like, we, we know everybody beats their head, chest now, SEC, SEC, because, you know, SEC football is dominating everybody. But SEC football has been a big deal since there has been SEC football, right? You go back to the Bears mm-hmm. Bryants and the General Neelands and, you know, you know Steve yeah. Spurrier winning a Heisman Trophy, I think, in 66 or 67. So SEC football has been this way for a long time. And to integrate that at that time took a lot of institutional courage by the university. And for the four young men that that walked into it, because we need to keep in mind that yes, we're we're integrated now, and, and you know, not to get political, but we should all be able to get along. To paraphrase Rodney King, but the road from segregation to full integration is paved by those people that were the first, that were the second. Where the third. It wasn't easy. And they talk about that during the documentary. And my takeaway is always this. 
think about the civil rights movement, we think about Martin Luther King Jr., as we should. We think about Malcolm X, as we should. We think about laws that were passed. But the, the, a lot of the real hard work was done on an individual basis. And, and, and someone had to be the first black at all these institutions, right? All these things we kind of take for granted, somebody had to be the first. And those first couple, boy, they had, they had tough roads, right? And not everything is a Disney movie, right? There's a lot of ugliness that goes into paving the way into fixing our society. So I am proud. I'm always proud to be a Kentucky Wildcat. But I'm very proud that my school integrated SEC football and SEC sport. I'm, I'm, I'm happy, right? That, that is a proud moment for me. So I'm glad that the story's out. Because I feel bad I didn't know it until 40 years ago. I had no idea. None. Yeah. I had no clue. And, and you know, and all the people that will tell you, Oh, the Kentucky is racist, blah, 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 blah. And then this comes out, well, you know, Kentucky integrated SEC football. Oh, but still, Kentucky's still <laughs> probably. No, you can't have it both ways. If you're going to tell the story, tell the entire story, right? <laughs> so, uh, like I said, I'm still immensely proud of my university and of uh, the work that those four men uh, did to pave the way. Yeah, um, and look, you you mentioned how what the SEC was like when it started for Nate Northam being the first, Greg Page being the second, Wilbur Hackett being the third, Houston Hall being the fourth, to what the SEC is now. We're getting older, but we ain't that old. Both of us born in '77. Here's what. Is startling when you look at the fact that like Georgia and LSU didn't have black players until '72. That's five years before we were born. That's it. Shaq was born in '72. We know what he did at LSU. That's when LSU integrated their football teams. <laughs> the year Shaq was born. So that you know it's just mind-boggling because. If we're not that old, we date ourselves, and it's funny, but we we ain't that old, and that's it's crazy when you realize what stuff was like when we were infants. Well, exactly, and and that's we we for whatever reason because the film is in black and white, and it seems forever ago uh, that we just think, okay, things have always been that way. But when you say okay. All this stuff took place in the 1960s. Well, you and I were born in the 1970s. The gap is not as wide as, as you mentally see it. Uh, uh, folks that follow me on Twitter know sometimes I get a little political on there, but a lot of times I talk about these things like for, 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 for me, you know, my parents' generation, they were fully grown before all these laws got passed. My father was born in 1937. Okay. The Civil Rights Act that guaranteed their right to vote was in 19, was that 64 or 68? I, I lose track. But let's say it's 1964. I mean, yeah. 
He's twenty. He's twenty-seven years old. Think about all mm-hmm. the life that you have lived to get to twenty-seven. So when we talk about the way things used to be, it's not a long time ago. If I were to talk about somebody, talk, talk to someone born during segregation, I go right to my mom and I talk to Mama B about it. Okay? Yeah. So it's not this forever ago kind of thing, like, oh, y'all just bring up old stuff. I'm like, this is not old stuff. My parents were raised under this. Mm-hmm. So I think there needs to be an appreciation for those folks that, that were uh, trailblazers and were and did lay the foundation. They're still here among us, right? So I'm glad that these these guys, you know, particularly integrating uh, SEC football, but all walks of life, we need to appreciate these people while they're still here. Because as I keep saying, life is not a Disney movie, right? I love hidden figures, but a lot of it was sanitized. And one of the benefits to that movie was it had it, it sparked a dialogue between my girls and my mom for them to kind of, for my girls to kind of understand, oh, this is the way things used to be, right? And this is the way things are. But you have to appreciate the work of others that, again, like I said earlier, that laid that foundation. That's part of it. So, uh, see, there you go. You got me on a little bit, little bit of a soapbox. That's, I, 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 I honestly believe that, that we need to continue to have these dialogues because there are people that were born, raised, and became adults before things got integrated. So, you know. Yeah. We we still have those trailblazers that are still out here, and they're not a hundred years old. So we need to right. appreciate uh, those folks while they're still here. And I'm glad we've got the documentaries. I'm glad we've got the statues. I'm glad that uh, Mr. Norrington and Mr. Hacker are getting recognized at the games. That's fantastic. Let's celebrate that. Uh, let's celebrate those folks while they can enjoy it. That's right. Wilbur Haggett just graduated. You know, fifty-three year journey. He just walked in and got his degree uh, a couple weeks ago. So congratulations for that. A couple more things too before I get off of, of this. Uh, Charlie Bradshaw, the coach at the time. You you know I'd heard stuff about the thin thirty. Didn't really know what it was talking about. <clears throat> I mean I knew it was a team that didn't have a lot of players. Didn't really know why. I didn't know. I was like, is it, is it probation? Is it what, what's the reason? Didn't really know. But kind of find out in the documentary, it says that, that year, I forget what year it was, but the, they started out with 88 players on the team. And by the time the season was over, there were 28 players on the team. And just due basically the fact that, that you know, Charlie Bradshaw, you, look, you push players, you demand effort, you try to get the most out of them, try to get each player to be their best. And then there's crossing the line and doing too much and taking it too far. And, you know, it said Charlie Bradshaw was an ex-Marine, and this is back when you could just basically do whatever you wanted as a coach and just cross the line and stay across the line when it came to training and pushing and you lose 60 players throughout the course of the season just wearing them out, beating them down. So as I'm watching, I'm thinking to myself, 
Billy Gillespie had a little Charlie Bradshaw in him. We heard about the practicing on the game days when he was here. We heard about, you know, the, you know players don't have any legs. They're beaten down. And he, he was, you know, Billy G was a mini Charlie Bradshaw because he was crossing the line. You have the, I think the defensive lineman in the documentary that talked about an offensive lineman that just went right up to Charlie Bradshaw in practice and just cold copied. And I'm like, so we had a Latrell Sprewell PJ situation years before Latrell and PJ. These dudes were fed up with Charlie Bradshaw and just just had enough when and pushed his lights out in practice. So Latrell wasn't the first one to just have enough. And this was at the college level. Latrell's a grown man, like you said. But this is a college kid almost grown, young adult, said enough was enough with Charlie Bradshaw. And then they said, like, the next game he was a starting left tackle or whatever. But this dude was just maniacal and and didn't know when to quit. I mean, there's there's no other reason, no other way to explain it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So I had to, you know, that was just my, my two cents on it as I was watching it. Hadn't talked about it over here yet. I was like, this dude was, this dude was PJ Carlismo before PJ. So we, and, and Billy G before Billy G. And this was back in the 60s when, you know, nobody was putting you in check. And the, and the last thing, to go to Greg Page's funeral, drive to Middlesbrough from Lexington, and to go back and have to practice. Are you kidding me? Um, Nate Norton hit that. You know, you, you didn't have counseling, people checking on you, how you doing. To go to your teammate's funeral and then drive back to Lexington and practice? Man, unbelievable. Yeah, that, that, that. You know, when we talk about the good old days, sometimes the good old days weren't always weren't always good. Yeah, I went on a I went on a little mini TV rant about the documentary. Well, Some that's all right. It's your show. You can rant if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, so I I definitely wanted to talk about it. I, I, look, people had already seen it. You know, definitely people in the state had seen it. Uh, you know, my dad had seen it and, you know, others throughout the state. So I'm just now finally seeing it, so I had to talk about it. Uh, but extremely well done. Uh, and just hadn't chopped it up about it here on this show yet. Um, the Last Dance. We've got the last half hour left. The Last Dance. It's over with now. 9 and 10 played out Sunday. So... But you just take us where we decide to go for this last little bit with the finale uh, of it. Uh, it was a little bit of a bait and switch. Uh, let me just say it was good television. I enjoyed the last five weeks of of what we got. Um, when the first trailer dropped, I want to say, was it back in December, January, whenever it was? And we all kind of said, oh, Okay, and it was billed as this this documentary on the ninety seven ninety eight Bulls, 
That's what we were told. And that's really not what we got. Uh, we got uh, as close to a Michael Jordan documentary or autobiography as I believe we're going to get. And I, I said after the probably was it episode three and four when we were talking, I said this is a Michael Jordan docu- documentary. That's that's what we're that's what we're seeing now. And there's been a debate over who had final say on what, but it was a Michael Jordan documentary. And if once you kind of put that in the back of your mind, then you can watch it and you say, okay, what we're getting is not, uh, it's not objective at all. Okay. What we're getting is what MJ and his people want us to see. And it's not bad. Again, I'm not saying it's a bad documentary, but I'm saying a lot of things get framed, a lot of things get put out there simply because, okay, this is an MJ thing. That being said, the last hour, episode 10, that was what we were promised. Episode delivered. Episode 9 and 10 for a climax, that was what we wanted. Uh, you know, we wanted. Okay, uh, we left off seven and eight. We left off uh, uh, with with the '96 championship and, and that, and then they kind of give us the foundation of the '97 finals, then the the '98 Eastern Conference Finals, where the, the Patriots, the Patriots, they were talking to England earlier, where the Pacers just they kind of choked it away. You know, the Bulls were beat in '98. And, and, and Indy was not able to capitalize on that. Uh, so that last hour of that 98 finals, that was fantastic. I really enjoyed that. A shot, uh, multiple shots of Scottie Pippen trying to get his back right to play. You know, there's still this question of how tough with Scottie. Uh, I thought they kind of drug out him not checking into the game in 94 a little too much. Uh, but Scotty was a gamer. And to see what he was doing, and he played, you know, 20-something minutes with a bad back. You know, and you heard the trainer talk about it's not just the pain, but he's, he's losing mobility. That's, that's what we want to see from, you know, we demand blood sacrifice from our athletes. Like, you've got to gut through it, and that's what Scottie Pippen uh, delivered. Uh, overall, it was entertaining. I enjoyed it, but at no point do I take anything that was hinted at at face value. Uh, I just – I don't. The the flu game is now the food poisoning game? Come on. <laughs> Come on. That, okay. Leave it, leave it at the flu because – it's an insult to our intelligence. This is what they're asking us to believe about this game, okay? That sometime late at night, Michael Jordan decides they wanted a pizza. So they called the pizza place, and they either gave Michael Jordan's name so the people knew to poison it, or this place was just poisoning every pizza going to this hotel on the off chance going to Michael Jordan. And nobody else. What? 
on top of that, I don't know how to poison someone. What do you put on there to poison? Like, what is it that you put on there to poison them with? There's so – and look, if he was hung over, that's fine. You know, putting up 38 points hung over is still a remarkable feat. But come on. I, I, I'm yeah. not buying that he was – I don't buy that somebody tried to poison his food. I'm not buying it. And people have been on so – well, you know, why would he do that? You know, during game city during the Eastern Conference Finals one year, like and every other shot of Jordan during the season, he's puffing on a cigar. So it's not like it's out of the question that he would indulge. And they're like, "Oh, where's he going to go out in Utah?" I'm like, "Utah's not dry. Like they've got a lot of rules, but you can still get alcohol in Utah. Like it's not out of the question. Like where do you think they are?" So. Uh, my biggest hang-up has just been Michael Jordan, you know, if you got him number one all-time, number two, he's up there. You know, he's, he's, he's your dude. We don't need to go out of our way to make him even mythically more than he already is. Let his greatness just stand on its own. And a lot of what was said was, was self-serving, and, and, and I get that. But yeah, that yeah that makes sense. Um, it is through his glasses. Um, what do you think about <laughs> which this 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 kind of this whole thing, which you kind of saw it coming, resurrects everything, so it allows everybody else to speak. So now you got teammates, opponents, which they were on the documentary anyway, but now they're getting media opportunities elsewhere, you know, on on radio and television. Uh, Horace Grant, Isaiah Thomas, um, Bill Winnington's own podcast, and you hadn't heard from Bill Winnington and and Stacey King in forever, and they're, they're, you know, getting their two cents in. If he said he said... This was all through Mike's perspective. Horace Grant kind of popped off today with a lot of different stuff, you know, which he was accused of being the guy that talked to the author years ago. He's talking about his lies now, and he went back at Jordan, and he wasn't the one that uh, could be bullied. If he said, he said, but where where you at? I mean, you see some stuff that Mike said, and you're like, come on. And now you got Horace saying stuff. I'm like, eh, maybe, but I don't know. Is it? Did you really do all that back then? Are you just talking tough now, Horace? I mean, where where are we all at on all this? Here, here, here again. The the reason I try to say a lot of this stuff is the fact that you know the the in, the the memes of Jordan looking over the iPad. That to me was a red flag. Like, they got the interviews with everybody else and then came back to Jordan the last time to let him comment on that, which is why when I talked last week about Gary Payton and the 96 finals, he absolutely slowed Michael Jordan down. Absolutely. Three-game stretch, Michael Jordan averaged less than 22 points a game and shot 
like 35% from the floor. And for him to be like, I had no problem with the glove. Yes, you did. You did. <laughs> like, and they just kind of let that float out there, you know, kind of unchallenged. Uh, a question I thought was unfair, uh, Scotty Pippen, you know, would he have not sat out during that 94 game if Michael Jordan was there? Michael Jordan is not Scotty Pippen's daddy, right? My understanding, my kind of concept is they told all these people being interviewed, we are going to talk about this 97-98 okay? And for background, you know, there's Cartwright and Horace and Paxson for the first run. We're going to tell this full story. So I think a lot of these guys went into it with that assumption, and then when it gets delivered, I, I think it caught a lot of people off guard. Scotty Pippen, I saw some day, he's not happy with how he was portrayed. So mm-hmm. overall, it's it's through Jordan, and uh, you know he thought that you know the way he interacted with his teammates would make him look bad. Um, it's just. You know, these, these these are grown men, right? And we talked about this, you and I did last week, and how Jordan was belittling and calling Scott Burrell's names and, and not letting Horace Grant, you know, get food on the plane. Look, man, um, I can say with confidence, with confidence, I'm not going to let a coworker talk to me like that. Like, you can say – Come on, TB, you got to, you know, we're doing these reps. You got to do X, Y, and Z. These are our expectations. That's well within the confines of a, a, a co-worker relationship. But you're not going to call me derogatory names all the time. Like, that's not going to happen. Okay? You know, we, talk, we, we shared that story of, of Robert Parrish when he was on the Bulls. I think 96, 97 when he was on the Bulls telling Mike, like, yeah, I'm, that ain't going to happen. Like, I, I, this is where I'm coming from. I'm not having it. You know, there's a story, Bill Cartwright, uh, uh, Jordan was mean to him, dogging him out. And, and Bill Cartwright basically said, you keep talking, you won't be Air Jordan because I will break your blank and blank legs. Okay? Like, being tough is one thing. But there's lines you're not going to cross. I don't care if you're Michael Jordan or not. And so uh, my big takeaway is when you listen to these former teammates talk about Michael Jordan, I think they understand that being part of that world opened up doors for them. Would Steve Kerr have been the general manager for the Phoenix Suns? Would he have been, uh, you know, in line to coach uh, the, the the Warriors being part of the three-peat with Michael Jordan. You know, all these guys benefited from it, but you don't really see the affection that you would see. It's like, yeah, we played with Mike, we won, he was tough on us, but there's not that that love. And I, and I, and I guess that's one way to get it done, but then when you see other championship teams, and there's a lot of affection. There is a, a lot of, of of love for each other that we don't see with these bulls. 
And I think part of it is because Michael Jordan was too big, and we saw that during the documentary, and he wasn't able to kind of be one of the guys. But but still, you can be a star player and still, you know, have teammates that enjoy your company. And, and I think we're going to see a lot more little things come out as a result of this documentary of, of guys kind of, you know, more or less being fed up with being in Michael Jordan's shadow. Steve Kerr said as much, I forget, I guess was it the episode after he hit the shot to what he clinched in 97? Is that what it was? Yeah. I think he was on with, with SVP after that episode. He goes straight into Sports Center and he has a guest, you know, talking about the documentary. And Steve Kerr just straight up said his career wouldn't be what it is, what it, what it, you know, what it has been without his experience with the Bulls, you know, going on it, like you said, to coach and be a GM. Um, it, it wouldn't have happened that way for him. So, yeah, you, know, you got to take him at his word. It, it may have not have happened. Um, he went toe-to-toe with him, and they, they came to blows, as everybody knows. Uh, we mentioned Tony Kukoc, though, who – Everybody who kept, you saw on social media, where's Kukos? Where's Kukos? You know, it took him forever to make an appearance. But Craig Hodges wasn't seen at all, was he? I mean, and he was no. there for the early part of his career. No mention at all of Craig. Yeah, no no Craig Hodges. Uh, you know, I thought it was interesting. No, uh, uh, no Brian Russell. Uh, and and I understand why he wouldn't want to talk about it. I, I, I get that. Like, what what benefit of, <laughs> to him is to, is to talk about it so so Michael Jordan can talk trash about you? And this is this is my big takeaway is, you know, we talk about Kevin Durant kind of looking for his happiness. Michael Jordan just seems unhappy. Like, we, we, we joke about, you know, his Hall of Fame speech and all this. Like, you are Michael Jordan. You are arguably, on most people's list, the best basketball player who ever lived. Most people that know can see that you are the greatest. Okay? You have won six championships. You have uh, amassed a billion dollars. You own a sports franchise. Your shoes have become up there with Dorothy's ruby red slippers for the footwear of America. (laughs) You have conquered everything, and he is still as upset about the Pistons not shaking his hand 30 years ago as he was the day it happened. We talk about how petty it is, but – at some point, you got to let that go. And and I don't know if, if that need to always find something to, to motivate and all that. Again, I'm not trying to armchair quarterback and, 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 and shrinking down, but it's just a lot of the, what he was talking about was, you know, he was settling old scores. Like, we have seen other players, other athletes win and and they're gracious. Even when they win, 
they are gracious. When they lose, they're, they're gracious. You know, Tom Brady tips his hat to Eli Manning. You know, it's okay to say these guys were good. Like, what, what benefit is it now to, to crap on Gary Payton when we have the evidence to say what Gary Payton was saying was right? Like, I don't, I don't get the need to still belittle everyone else because you are you're king of the hill. I don't get it. And mm-hmm. and that was my big takeaway. He still has to let you know that Jerry Krause was terrible. Even though a lot of the moves Krause made were right. But it was obvious that he was going to be the villain and that didn't sit well with me because he's not here to defend himself. So my biggest takeaway from this documentary as well is George can say what he wants to an interview, but I think it's incumbent on the filmmaker to kind of point out, uh, you know, Gary Payton actually did slow Jordan down. Or a lot of the stuff Jay Krause said came to pass. Like he knew we're not going to give uh, Scottie Pippen this big contract because he's done. And Scottie Pippen was done. <laughs> you know, he was never the same Scottie Pippen once he left Chicago. So, mm-hmm. you know, he, 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 he went out and he got Tony Kukoc. That turned out to be a good deal. Trading Charles Oakley for Bill Cartwright turned out to be a good deal. Bringing in Steve Kerr and Ron Harkin turned out to be a good deal. Like, he knew what he was doing. And it wasn't easy to fill out a roster with players that would work with Mike, but he made it happen. So, uh, and I'm not saying they need to call Michael Jordan a liar to his face, but you can present and say, yeah, okay, this is what he's saying, but also this is another point of view. So uh, Jordan just still has these axes to grind, and it's just weird. You know, like, I think we can all agree that when it comes to sports rivalries, Magic and Bird of the 80s, it's, it's, it's up there in your top five, right? That, that matchup. But they get along great now. Like, whatever happens at the Great Western Forum, whatever happened in the old Boston Garden, like, they have they let that go. And Jordan doesn't seem able to or willing to kind of move it on from that. So that's what I took away from it uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So five weeks of giving us something to talk about, something to chew on a little bit. Uh, Jordan's perspective for sure, uh, and like you said, I, I, I'm with you as far as there'll be more ripple effects, or 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 you know, for every action there's an equal, equal and opposite reaction. So you know, guys coming out. Taking their side of the story, or you know, there's going to be some more horse grants <laughs> to come uh, in the coming days and weeks. You know, some kind of interview, some kind of podcast, you know, some segment on Sports Center or, or or the Jump or something like that. There'll probably be some more stuff like that coming down the road. Yeah, and and, and there are people going to oh, horse Grant. Grant is just you know he's he's a crybaby. Pippen's a crybaby. I. I and like you said, it's he said, he said, 
But why does what Michael Jordan say carry more weight than what these guys say in this he said, he said kind of situation? Mm-hmm. That, that's my yeah. point as well is, you know, for all this talk of Michael Jordan 6 on the finals, he didn't win anything without Scottie Pippen. Right? Mm-hmm. And Phil Jackson won five more titles. Right? So right. I, I know everybody beats that drum 6 and 0, 6 and 0. And the thing toward the end, you know, should the Bulls have run it back in 99, uh, Michael Jordan, and we never got an answer to this because I think this is probably the last interview they did, said, you know, all those guys probably would have come back. You know, Kerr and and, and, and all this kind of stuff. And he's like, you know, Scotty, Scotty, there's, I'm, from what I've read and see, Scotty wasn't coming back for $2 million. Like, he was not coming back. For two, like, I don't care going for seven, Michael Jordan ain't going to get 30, and Scotty's going to get two. That wasn't going to work. And for Jordan to kind of make that mm-hmm. presentation, I, you know, I would love to have Scotty say, no, that wasn't going to work. And I don't think it was going to work. Yeah. You know, they lucked out to get Scotty on that long contract because if he was on a different contract, he would have been going after the first three people. So we talked yeah. about yep. you know all these different factors that go into championships. Scotty had not signed that, signed that long term deal. He was going to bounce. He was tired of being in Mike's shadow in '93, which is why he balled out in '94. And, you know, no. and that was a talking point through the documentary as well. Pip was like, y'all got to trade me. He said it in 95. He said it in 96. He said it in 97. <laughs> so to just suppose he was going to come back for nostalgia to boost up your ego, that's a, you know, that's a big ask. That is a big, big ask. So, uh, but again, great TV. I'm glad I watched it. I was, it was great to go back and be in the moment, all those games that we watched mm-hmm. when we were young. Um, yeah. But, you know, we have to consider the source. And I, I still don't think it, this is the definitive take on those goals. And I think True. we should do well to listen to those people. I'm not going to listen to Skip Bayless tell me about what the locker room was like. I'm not going to listen to Nick Wright, Chris Broussard. Even David Aldridge. Yeah. I'm going to put weight uh-huh. on what Horace Grant is saying, what Steve Kerr is saying, Bill Whittington is saying. Uh, B.J. Armstrong was on Bomani Jones' podcast last Thursday, and he was very matter-of-fact on how he approached you know, the, the, the three-peat. His point of view was, mm-hmm. I didn't realize that, he was a rookie when the Bulls lost to the uh, Pistons in uh, 90 in game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals. And his perspective was he was just thrown to the wolves. Like he had to figure out what his job was supposed to be on this team that was already ascending. Like he had not been through the battles that some of those other guys had been through. So he was kind of a trial by fire, you know, to figure this whole thing out. Um, So I would have liked to have, more guys other than Michael talk about what they had to do to sacrifice for the team. Uh, I would have loved to have seen a little bit more of Dennis Rodman and his point of view talking about, look, 
you know, I, I think it's a great question for Dennis Rodman. Okay, this is how we did it in Detroit. This is how we did it in Chicago. Here's the similarities. Here's the differences. I think that's a valid point of view. I think it's, it's, it's a great point of view from Scotty Pippen to say, okay, this is how I had to tailor my skills to supplement uh, Michael Jordan. Because, as I've said before, we have let Scottie Pippen, you know, people chanting that at games, become a, a, a negative thing. And Scottie Pippen was a fantastic ball player. But how many people would have taken a step back to their game to supplement somebody else, right? We saw Kyrie Irving say, hey, I can't do this with LeBron. So there's a I would love to get a lot more of those Bulls, their point of views. You know, Jordan scored 40, the team scored 90. Well, those, 90, those other points have to come from somewhere, right? And how do you survive in the environment with a personnel like Michael Jordan? And, and these guys are elite athletes as well. How do you kind of, you know, it's easy to say, oh, Steve Kerr's a role player. But what person goes to the NBA thinking they're a role player? You know, that, that, that's a psychological conversation to have as well. So I think had it just been a documentary on just the last three-peat, I think we could have gotten a deeper dive into that. Instead, we got some stuff with Mike, which was good. But, you know, it's good television. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Um, real quick. You tagged me in the NBA 90s Zoom where everybody's hanging out with a mob Rashad. Tagged me and my guy Dominique Wilkins talking about uh, getting traded to the Clippers and thinking the dude to play was a ball boy. Uh, that was hilarious <laughs> as well as all the other tweets in that thread. But <laughs> I watched that over and over again, man. That was hilarious. Yeah, some of those uh, some of those guys changed tra- stories. I, I thought that was great because I just Dominic talked about his trade. I was like, oh, I gotta I gotta send this to I gotta send this to Vinny. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. telling stories and playing. And, and I and I think what happens a lot of times, obviously, focus on the champions and, and the guys that won. But there were a lot of great players and great teams in the '90s and in the '80s that because of the Lakers and Celtics become of the Bulls and the Pistons, they didn't win. And Dominique Wilkins is in that group of not being able to, to win as a team, but still a very, very good player and, and somebody that doesn't get talked about enough. Honestly, he probably should have been on the dream team if we're being, if we're keeping it 100, as the kids say. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, yeah. Patrick Ewing was great. You know, Patrick Ewing was, was uh, I saw a thread about, I think we forget how good he was. You know, ESPN, or former ESPN, Bill Simmons had this whole thing about the Patrick Ewing theory. I don't know if you've seen this, where a star goes down and his team plays better or something like that. Because, you know, mm-hmm. Patrick Ewing got hurt and the Knicks had a pretty good run. I think in 99. Uh, and, I had seen that supposedly had gone back to Patrick Ewing when he was in college and it didn't click to me. Patrick Ewing played in three straight national title games 
at Georgetown. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, what? You know, losing in 84, <laughs> uh, you know, well, no, wait. When did they, no, I'm, I'm losing, I'm, I'm missing something. Lost in 82 to Jordan. Right. Uh, didn't make it in 83. So that was NC State in Houston. And then they lost, yeah. what, 84 and 85. Lost to Villanova in 85, 84. Was they won in 84. They won in 84. Yeah. Right. They beat, but what, I'm like, like, what? Yeah. more do you want out of a college career? Uh-huh. That's pretty darn good. And then you look at his next run, and, you know, he was great, but those Knicks teams, they were just kind of a bunch of dudes. Like, he didn't have a, a, an elite perimeter guy. You know, Greg Anthony, Charlie Ward, you know, Derek Harper, uh, John Stark. So he didn't have a lot of perimeter dudes when he was in his prime. So right. uh, I, I think he kind of – his career kind of gets forgotten about as well. So, uh, But great to see the, those – as, as we said, old timers guys we used to watch play as kids. Uh, see those guys uh, uh, get out there and, and, and talk. So I, I had to tag you in there. Absolutely, I appreciate it. And got to give your man Magic Johnson some congratulations. Just saw where he was providing a hundred million dollars for minority small businesses hit hard by the coronavirus through the. Paycheck Protection Program. So, uh, Magic doing huge things off the court in these uncertain times. In these unprecedented, uncertain times, yeah, Magic Magic is a, is, is a good guy. Obviously, he's a true businessman, but a lot of what he stuff, a lot of stuff he does, uh, is for inner city and urban and uh, minority businesses. So, yeah, he's you know. About the only thing he struggled in was having his talk show. That could be a segment for a future show <laughs> of how bad that was. But other than that, man, being a head coach, pretty darn good. And head coach didn't go that well either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That 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 stretch wasn't uh, wasn't fantastic. But uh, but Magic is still that dude. That's why you know when he stepped down to be a president, like Magic just wants to be Magic, man. Like like he don't need a nine to five. He don't need a boss. Magic just needs to be magic, you know. That's true. <laughs> so I, I get it. That's true. <laughs> and lastly, man, I got to give congratulations. I should have said this last week and didn't squeeze it in. Congratulations to Macy Morris, who was born and raised just the next county over. She ended up going to Bell County um, and, and playing her high school ball down there. But her father, Lewis Morris, friend of the show, was from Cumberland, from Harlan County, went to school. When when Freddie Maggard was there, they were all there together. Um, Lewis Morris is, you know, Macy's father, so I'm all stuttered up. But anyway, Macy just signed last week with the Tennessee Conductors of the Women's Professional Basketball Association, so she had been over in Italy after leaving UK and was oh, dicey as whether she'd get back initially when Corona was there. But she's making it back to the States. The first pick 
of the Women's Professional Basketball Association by the Tennessee Conductors, which is in Chattanooga, just a, a hop and a jump down the road from me. Another connection, coming back to the mountains, coming back to Harlan County again, friend of the show, former Harlan County, far, huh, former Harlan Globetrotter, Paul Gaffney, is the owner of the Tennessee Conductors. He was back at Cumberland High School with Lewis Morris and Freddie Maggot. They were all there together. Paul owns Tennessee Conductors. He's the one who drafted Macy, first pick for the Tennessee Conductors there in Chattanooga. So congrats to Macy for coming over and uh, getting selected into the new league over here. And congrats to Paul who had ties the connections to the family, been knowing the family for years for selecting Macy with the first pick for his team, the Tennessee Conductors. Congratulations to all. Absolutely. Uh, I saw that little nugget. And I got no problem giving love to your part of the state. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> we love each other, man. You know, there's been so many times where the state looks at each other sideways depending on the regions, and that ain't that ain't the case here. I don't look at Louisville crazy, and you don't look at Southeast Kentucky crazy. So, yeah. Appreciate us being doing what we've been doing these past five or six years, and had fun once again. Got to get up there and eat at Sharks again when things get more back to normal. Uh, had another fun two hours tonight. Have another fun, successful run when you get out there again this weekend. Once you get prepped, get your music ready, and then cool down, and you know you'll be posting about another successful run. So I'm looking forward to hearing about that when we pop on here next week. Absolutely. Uh, uh, like I said, this is the UK Athletics Virtual 5K. So I am signed up. I am rocking and rolling. I'm ready to go. Hey, sounds good. Sounds good. Have a good evening, good rest of the week. Tell Mama B hello, and we'll do it again next week. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. Thanks again to Renee and Sarah, Hungry in Kentucky podcast. Don't forget to listen to them every other Tuesday, wherever you get your podcast. Check them out on Instagram as well, and Bluegrass Bourbon and Eat. They're definitely doing their thing, just like we're trying to do ours. We'll do it again next week, TB. Enjoy yourself. Stay warm. Take care. We'll see you again next week. Cast Talk Wednesday. Brandon Hyde Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com.